He is risen. Would you stand with us as we praise this morning? As we are here to worship the God that died, that rose again, that provided salvation for us through his blood. So we're going to celebrate him this morning. We're going to worship him this morning because everything rests on this resurrection day. Let's worship together, church. Surely it was true. Since when it's impossible, ever stopped you. And Friday's disappointment, Sunday's empty too. Since when it's impossible, ever stopped you.
that I've been a criminal. I've stolen your breath, sang my own song. And Lord, I confess that I'm far from innocent. Shackles I wear, I bought on my own. The scarlet sins had a crimson cost. Nail my debt to that aura of the cross. An empty slate at the end. They got that stone was rolled away. Lord, I confess I've been a prodigal made for your house, but walk my own.
Saturday night and it's rolling into Sunday morning and she's in a hurry. It's one of those things where she doesn't know what she's going to do when she gets there, but she has to be there. There's nothing else more important in her life right now than getting there. She will travel rugged terrain, desert-like hikes on hills where there are no lights and there is no flashlight, but she has to get there. She's carrying a weight heavy, heavier than she's ever carried before. Now, don't get me wrong, she knows how to carry weight. Women in her time and in and, and, and her context would carry jugs of gallons of water on their heads. They would walk sometimes twice a day, miles a day, to get to the local well where they could put water, carrying it on their heads and bring it home for their families. She knows what it is to carry weight. Whether it was supplies or food or anything of that nature, women of that day knew how to carry weight. But this was different. This was an internal weight. It's a weight inside, a weight of anxiety, a weight of depression, of grief, of mourning. A heavier weight than she's ever carried before. And even though she doesn't know what she's going to do when she gets there, she's got to get there. She's got to get there. She can remember the first day she met him, the first time he came into town. She can remember like it's yesterday, really. And how would you not know he's there? So many thousands of people come and surround him. They bring like uh, ailed people, the family members who who need healing, demon-possessed, line him up hoping that he'll touch them or say something or look upon them, find mercy in his heart and compassion for them. They had so many people at times that he had to leave town before he gets all of them. And so, of course, she knew when he came to town. And she thought to herself, well, is there a chance that he would look on me? In the busyness of all his life, is there any chance that he'd look on me? And nobody looks at me. Nobody ever looks on me. I'm part of that crowd in this commune where you ring a bell and say, stay away. Or it's just uh, part of that people group that we just say they're out of their mind and leave them alone and when you see them you put your eyes down and your nose to the ground you keep on walking we don't want to help you and even if we could help you we wouldn't help you but you look on me she makes this trek on this rugged terrain heading up a mountain she's thinking of these times of the first time she ever met him It is said that she had seven spirits residing inside of her, seven different spiritual beings taking control of her body and her mind, truly feeling like she didn't have access to her own mind. She didn't have volitional actions, access to her own body. She wondered, would he ever look on me, a woman? And he did. You can imagine the day when he did and, and casted out not just one spirit or two spirits or three spirits, so there's four remaining, but all seven spirits would be casted out of her. So she could have access to her mind again. So she didn't have to feel like a prisoner in her own body. 
So she didn't feel like, feel like she had to be enslaved to another being that's taking control of her body. She was elated. Can't believe he looked on me. And she's making this hike up this rugged train. She remembers what he said before he left town. Him and his 12 buddies, they would end up leaving town, going across the water in another town. But before they left, he would give three anecdotes, three illustrations, three different story-like things that would apply in a spiritual way. The first one. It, it was about this guy who was a farmer, and he would sow seed on the ground. He'd just throw seed all over. And he said some, some of the seed would fall on ground that was compacted, like where everybody's walking on the road, and the seed couldn't germinate, couldn't get it through the ground. And so the birds would come and steal that seed away, and nothing would happen. Other seed would fall on ground that had like two or three inches of soil. And then under that would be gra- uh, rocks and whatnot, and so the seed would quickly germinate and, and grow up instead of down. But because of not having a good root access, the weeds would choke it out and, and it wouldn't amount to anything. But there was a seed that would fall on good ground, and that seed would germinate and grow and multiply into fruit, fruit many times over. And she thought to herself, he can't be talking about me, can he? Like I'm the good soil. Second one. This one was about a light and a lamp and how you put it on a lampstand. And a lamp is meant to be put on a lampstand for the world to see. It's there to illuminate things. Nobody takes their lamp and puts it under their bed. Nobody takes their lamps and hides it. She thought, he can't be talking to me. I'm the lamp that should be shown? You do realize the skeletons in the closet. You do realize the demons in the closet, don't you? The third one. This was one where the crowd began to share that Jesus' mother and brothers were there to see him. And everybody expected him to stop everything he was doing to be their first family. His mother and his brothers are there to see him. And yet he said something so counterintuitive. He said, who is my mother and who are my brothers? If not, the people who take my words and put them into practice. And she thinks to herself, was he talking about me the whole time? Am I the soil, the seed that turns into a blossoming fruit upon fruit? Am I the light that should be put on a stand to... She proclaimed to the world the goodness of God. And am I in the family of God, as it were? She's in a hurry. It's dark. There is no light. She's in extreme grief. She's feeling her heart palpitating out of her chest. She's breathing so heavily that she notices that for every four breaths, one normal breath should take place. Her body doesn't know to do what to do with all the oxygen, and so her fingers are tingling back and forth. But she has to get there. Because he was there for me at my lowest point. I've got to be there for him. I've got to get to his tomb and make sure that he has an appropriate burial. The woman is Mary Magdalene, Her first interaction with Jesus is found in Luke chapter 8. 
She happens to be the very first person to be at the tomb of Jesus Christ after the Passover festivities on Sunday morning. Well, welcome to Camarillo Community Church, more affectionately known as CAMCC. If you're wondering who I am, my name is David. I'm one of the pastors around here, and we are so glad you're with us, whether you're on campus in the room, on the patio right now, or even online. We're just glad that you are joining us today, and a happy Easter to you all. If you are enjoying uh, my attire, I would just let you know that you shouldn't get used to it. Um, I literally have a hanger that says Easter and Christmas, and that's where these clothes reside, in my closet. And so, uh, uh, but I do like to dress up for Christmas and Easter, and not every time, I don't know, maybe one time I won't do it, don't expect it. (laughs) But welcome, we're so glad that you're with us today, and would you give a round of applause for our wonderful worship team? How great. I mean, like 99% of them are unpaid. I mean, besides Kelly, I don't, you know, every, it's volunteers, you know. There are churches that pay for musicians. Don't tell them that because I don't want them to go to that church. Um, but they did a great job, and they have done a great job for us. I'm so thankful for them. Today, and with the context in mind that we just talked about, I would like to show you what happens at the tomb when Mary Magdalene runs to Jesus. And we're going to ask some questions. How does Jesus' homegoing represent our homecoming? How does it remind us of our past and yet reinforce our future? How does it mirror our, the spiritual, our spiritual existence? And for that, we're going to be in John chapter 20 together. If you have a bound Bible, open it up. If you have a device, open it up with us. We're in John chapter 20, looking at verses 1 through 18 today. And the overarching question, as you see on the screen, is how does the story of the resurrection of Jesus mirror our own homecoming? And the first thing we're going to see is that it reminds us of our past spiritual plight. Uh, You think of Mary Magdalene, the seven evil spirits that were residing in her body before that first interaction with Jesus, and and the the inner contemplativeness of that, and does he really want me, does he, with all my history and all the things, the baggage that I bring, is that really what he wants? Is Is that truly what he wants? And it reminds us that we all come with our own past spiritual plight. And you might say, yeah, I get that. I get the idea of, of God being uh, bigger than I am, holier than I am, and I don't deserve him. Well, you're in good company. All of us come the same way. But first, it reminds us of our past spiritual flight. I'm going to read through John chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. If you don't have a Bible, it'll be on the screen for you. It says this, now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Uh, early Sunday morning, late Saturday night. Uh, Days started differently in the first century uh, in a Jewish context. A day would go all the way into the evening, and then at evening time, when the sun goes down, a new day would start. So we start the day in the morning, they would start the day in the afternoon and evening. And so Saturday night, rolling into Sunday morning, it's dark, and she is running up to the tomb having no idea what she's going to do when she gets there. How do you take this 2,000-pound uh, uh, block or boulder or stone that's in front of, in a divot? How is she going to move that stone so she can prepare the body correctly? Who knows? But she just knows that she has to be there. And she noticed that the stone is taken away. Verse 2, so she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, whom, uh, the one whom Jesus loved. That's John's way, very humbly uh, writing himself into the story without saying his name. And said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb. 
and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He stooped to look in. He saw the linen clothes lying there, but he did not go in. Maybe he was scared of uh, being ceremonially unclean in that scenario. But then Simon Peter decides he's going to go in. Following him, he went into the tomb, and he saw the linen cloths lying there. And the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up or rolled up in the place by itself. This is very interesting because the way they would um, uh, put uh, grave clothes on you is almost like a mummification. So, I mean, bodies would be very, very uh, um, stiff, and, and it would be hard to get out of these clothes. And so whether somebody took him out of the clothes or whether he got himself out of the clothes, it, it'd be very, a very, very difficult thing. But here it seemed to say that the clothes are still there. It's just almost like he, he just went through them. They're in their original state, and he just went through them. Because of this mummification um, uh, situation, uh, in John chapter 11, when Lazarus is raised from the dead, and Jesus says, Lazarus comes forth, a lot of people think he was floating, because literally, he would not be able to walk with this mummified clothes that would be on him. And so here, in this situation, we're seeing somehow he's able to penetrate through Adam's they, 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 they move away from him. We see later on in chapter 21, he's able to walk through walls. And so anyway, uh, they get there, they see the clothes. The, the one that was on his face is nicely rolled up. They don't know what's going on. Verse 8, then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went and he saw and believed. As, it, as of yet, they did not understand the scripture that he must be raised from the dead. The disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stayed there. She didn't go back with Peter and with John. And I want you to see what happened, starting in verse 11. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped in to look at the tomb, and she saw two angels dressed in white, sitting where the body of Jesus was had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she didn't know it was him. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be a gardener, she said to him, sir, if you carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, do not cling to me or do not continue to cling to me, clinging on me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. I'm going to have to go back to the Father. You can't hold on to me that long. But go to the brothers and say to them that I'm ascending to the Father, to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I've seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. How's the story of the resurrection of Jesus mirror our own homecoming? Well, it reminds us of our past spiritual plight. Uh, you think you might have some skeletons in the closet. She literally has demons in her closet. And yet she's the one who gets to see the risen Lord first. She's the first eyewitness to the risen Jesus Christ. You might think, I don't deserve him. He, he doesn't want anything to do with me. You're probably right. Uh, you don't deserve him, but he does want everything to do with you. No matter what is in your past, 
Certainly, he has allotted for a way for you to be right with God, and he does want you. It's always interesting when we find in the scriptures that a woman would be an eyewitness of anything. Now, I don't say that to be offensive, but I'm just telling you it's bad history. In the first century times, women were not allowed to be um, eyewitnesses of anything. If you went to court and you were riding on your, your, your number one witness being a woman who had, was an eyewitness of the whole situation, it would be inadmissible in court. If that's what you're riding on, then you lose. Because uh, the account of a woman wasn't even admissible in court. That's the context of the first century. And yet you have the very resurrection of Christ being attested to as the first witness being a woman. There would literally be in the centuries to come uh, Christian antagonists who would refer to this as, you don't really believe in that religion, do you? I mean, it's based on the fantasies and hallucinations of women as a way to devalue the faith and devalue the resurrection. Uh, You don't really believe what a woman said she saw, do you? And the question comes to your mind like, John, why did you write that in the story? Like you could have just said you and Peter met at the tomb together. Why did you write the whole woman piece in the story? Like, you know, that's, that's bad Bible. Like people aren't going to buy it. And yet that's written in the story. Not only is that written in the story, but also written in the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew. We see five women in his genealogy. The interesting thing about that is you don't have to even put women in his genealogy. Genealogies are always going through the man. The history of the man, the seed of man, the names of men. That was what the family line was. There's no need to even add a woman. Why add any women in the genealogy of Jesus? Look at Matthew, you'll see him. There's five women there. And then when you look at their past... Like, if you're going to add women to the genealogy, don't add bad ones. And there are five checkered women in the genealogy of Jesus who's supposed to be the son of God. That's bad Bible. Like, why are you writing these things in there? You don't have to. Now, the first century, they hadn't gone through a women's liberation like we have, but it seems very clear that God was trying to make a statement even back then. That's right, Mary. And he knew her by name, and he called her by name. And when God calls you by name, you respond. Seems like he's going out of his way to say, yes, I see you. Yes, I know you. And yes, you are the soil that the seed falls on. And yes, you are the lamp that's to be shown. And yes, you are in the family of God. Four special graces were given Mary on that day that weren't given to anyone else. And I want you to see them. The first one is she got to see and interact with angels. Both John and Peter go in the tomb. They don't see angels. But Mary Magdalene goes in the tomb and she sees the angels. She has a conversation with them. She's the first to see the risen Christ, even though she didn't know it was the risen Christ at the time. She thought he was a gardener. First to see the risen Christ. First to see Jesus Christ alive. And finally, She was the first to proclaim the risen Christ. Now think about that for a second. In all of history, how many times has Jesus Christ been proclaimed as resurrected from the dead? The first ever to do so was a woman who used to be bound by seven spirits. You can see her in her mind going, I am the good ground the seed of Christ fell on. I am the light that should be on a lampstand. I am a part of his family. 
How does the story of the resurrection of Jesus mirror our own homecoming? Well, number one, it reminds us of our own past spiritual plight. And number two, it reinforces our future spiritual reality. Whatever happens to Christ will happen to us if we are a believer in Christ according to the scriptures. It reinforces our future spiritual reality. I want to take you to two passages. The first one's out of 1 Thessalonians 4 and the second's out of Romans 6. But on the screen for us and it says this. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verses 13 through 14. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who have fallen asleep. That's a euphemism for dead. They have passed away. That you may not grieve as others do as having no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. The ones who have fallen asleep, don't worry. He will resurrect them and bring them back with him when he comes back. Let's go to Romans chapter 6. It says, do, not, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? When you place faith into Jesus Christ, there's a spiritual baptism that happens. You are now identified yourself with Christ, his burial, and his resurrection. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might have newness of life. For if we have been united with him like this in his death, we shall certainly be united with him in what? His resurrection as well. Just as Christ is risen, so will we be risen as well. You see, when you start viewing things in the context of the landscape of eternity, the 80 to 100 years that we have on this earth seem pretty empty. There are people who spend their whole lives working for things and, and setting goals for themselves and achieving those goals and starting a one business and starting two businesses and, and, and trying to hit a certain financial uh, status and then reaching that financial status. And over and over again, you'll see people who have set goals and achieved those goals will say to themselves, wow, at the top, I thought this would bring me some kind of fulfillment. And yet all it's brought me is emptiness. I've been at every five-star restaurant I've wanted to go to. I've been at every five-star hotel I've ever wanted to go to, and yet I feel empty. What I thought I was going to get out of these things, I haven't gotten. The 80 to the 100 years on earth seem pretty empty in the landscape of eternity. This is why I like to say that the empty tomb provides a solution to our empty lives. The empty tomb provides a solution to our empty lives. It's our big idea. The empty tomb provides the solution to our empty lives. If Jesus Christ really rose from the dead, then there is something to live for outside of this life. Something beyond this life, beyond the 80 to 100 years that many of us are realizing that's coming a lot faster than we ever thought it would. The empty tomb provides a solution to our empty lives. Remember sharing this a long time ago, but it seems to be appropriate to use it again. Huh. I have mentioned many times that my family growing up, um, we had an interesting way of dealing with conflict, almost, almost Italian in a sense, <laughs> yeah, except for we were Colombian. But whoever was loudest and whoever was most dogmatic and whoever was the most stubborn won the argument. It, it was, it was a, a war of wills. Didn't matter who was right and who was wrong. What mattered is were you louder, were you stubborner, were you more manipulative? <laughs> And did you have the stick to in the argument? Because if you did, you'd win. And then at 14, 15 years old, I become a Christian, follower of Christ, and I really want my brother. 
to come to know Jesus as well. And so what methodology do you think I used? I'm going to argue him into the faith. Literally, we would spend months arguing into the faith. A very biblical thing, by the way. We see Jesus use this uh, tactic 0% of the time. And he'd come at me with scientific argumentation. And of course, I've been brains, uh, brainwashed, you know. And, and I would come to him with solid biblical arguments, thinking that only an idiot wouldn't believe, you know, this kind of persuasion. And to my extreme disappointment, after months of fighting, I mean witnessing, um, seemed to drive my brother further and further away from God than get closer to him. I'll never forget when it came full circle for me. He had gotten a job at the refinery. The refinery in the Northern, Northern California Bay Area, it's a good job because it pays really well, but it's a horrible job. You have to go into these tanks and you scrape off all this black stuff and you're, you know, you're inhaling things that are going to kill you, all this kind of stuff. And so nobody likes being there, but they'd like having a good job. And it's hard work. He had gotten one of those jobs and he's there and he said, there's a guy who keeps coming and every day he starts off the day by saying, praise God another day. And he's like, I'm so glad that there's another, we have another day. It's so clear that nobody likes being there. They like having a job that makes good money, but nobody wants to be there. And so my brother starts kind of attaching to this guy and saying, hey man, what, what is it with you that you're so thankful for the job that we have and so thankful for this? Everybody knows nobody likes this thing. Like, no, like I like the paycheck, but I don't like the work. And he says, oh, that's a simple one. I had a brain tumor a couple years ago. And by the grace of God, I'm still here today. So every day I wake up is a new day. And it's a day that I can worship and praise God. Because every day wasn't given me. I don't view it as an expectation that it'll just be there. I view it as a grace and mercy of God that I can have it. My brother was profoundly impacted by that. And I remember thinking to myself, here I have been arguing him into the faith and it's not worked. And here's this guy who just says, I know God's got my back. And he's made more of a headway with my brother than I have myself. He's had more impact on my brother than I ever had. And it's because the guy presented a life not full of emptiness. And my brother could see there's something fulfilled in you and I feel empty. Can you tell me more about it? The empty tomb provides a solution to our empty lives. You know, I, I don't know if I told you guys, but my brother and sister were here in January. They came for a weekend, and they, my brother lives in Wisconsin. My sister lives in um, Seattle, Washington, and they flew here together, and we got to spend the weekend together, and I was preaching and whatnot here, so it was cool for them to see us in our element. Um, and my brother had in his mind, booked a flight back to Wisconsin on Monday morning at 10 a.m. But to his shock, he realized it was 10 p.m. <laughs> That's probably why it was such a good price. And so uh, I dropped my sister off at Burbank Airport so she can go back to Seattle with her husband. And then my brother and I spent the rest of the day together. And we said, well, let's go to Long Beach and let's go on one of those sightseeing whale tour things. You know, the ones where you never see any whales? <laughs> but we actually saw whales. And we saw like a million dolphins. Probably not a million, like a thousand dolphins. You know, it was pretty cool. And we're on the top deck of this boat, and he's like, you know, Dave, I want you to know, I listen to, your, to the podcast that your church puts out every week. I listen on the way to work, I listen on the way home, and I might be a little behind every once in a while, but I'm listening to it, like, regularly. I want you to know that. I'm like, oh, that's really cool, you know? Um, in fact, if you're listening now, happy Easter. 
And uh, we're sitting on top of the deck of this boat, and he said, you know, at the very end of your messages, you always have these times, regularly you'll have these times where you encourage people to, like, do business with God. Like, they got to sit down with God. they got to verbalize what's going on in their heart. And, and place their faith in Jesus Christ, his death, his burial, his resurrection. And you go over this over and over and over again. And I just want to let you know that there was like one night I went to my room. I sat on my bed. And I said, all right, God, I got to do this. And he said, I did it out loud because I, I just couldn't do it on my mind. No, it has to be out loud. And he's right. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Romans 10, 9. And he said, I sat there and I placed my faith in Jesus Christ. And my mind's blown. I, I, never, I never thought that the internet could be used that way. I'm like, here he is 3,000 miles away listening to our messages and God does something in his life in his own bedroom. And he figured out that day that the empty tomb provides a solution for our empty lives. And I wonder if maybe God might be wanting to do the same in you. That maybe you could see something more than just a day to dress up and hang out with mom so she feels good. But to find, no, this is actually something more substantial than that. That the empty tomb actually provides a solution for our empty lives. That there's a reason to live these 80 to 100 years with purpose because there's something better coming afterwards. I wonder if you do that in you, and you might say to yourself, no way, man, you don't know the skeletons in my closet. You don't know the demons in my closet. And that's why we shared the whole story the way it is. I think that's why God shared the story the way it is. Even though it's by bad Bible and all, I want people to know what demons in their closet, that I can transform their lives and make them the soil that good seed falls upon. Make them the lamp that needs to be shown for everybody to see and be pointed to God and his goodness make them into the family of God. So much so that she's going to be the first one to ever see me resurrected. Why don't you bow your heads and close your eyes with me. I often do this. I just have a little point where maybe God can work on your heart a little bit. Maybe I could speak to your soul. Maybe God can speak to you through me. I just wonder, are you here? Is something connecting for you on a rooted level like it's never connected before, like you've gone from the hard soil to the good soil and the seed of God is trying to implant itself inside of you. Do you want to place your faith in Jesus Christ this Easter and go on the roller coaster ride for the rest of your life seeing how he transforms you inside out, makes you into a new person? Knowing that the end of your life because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ himself, yes, he is risen, he is risen indeed, and just like his resurrection shall we be raised according to the scriptures. Do you want that? If you do, I'd encourage you to place your faith in Jesus Christ. You say, I don't know what that means. It means he's God, he walked on earth, died on the cross for my sin, rose on the third day. I put my faith in that. If you would do that, confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, you will be saved. 
Father, we love you, and we love stories of your word that you go out of your way to show us how you are for the down and out person, how you are for the person with a checkered past in history, how you are for people who are marginalized by society, how you are for them. You hang out with them. You want them. You're going out of your way to write them into history when it doesn't make sense to do so. When you're God, truth is what matters. And you'll still find a way to conquer the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, even though it was witnessed, eyewitnessed by a woman. We thank you for that. And I pray that you would continue to move in that story, just as you've done for centuries in the past. Continue to do it in our presence and in our congregation for generations to come. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor David. You know, uh, we read from uh, the book of John today, earlier in the book, in chapter 11, Jesus says this. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? That's the question he leaves us with. Um, if maybe some of you are here today and you're just here because mom wanted you to come. And you're maybe kind of skeptical of Christianity. And that's fine. We're glad you're here. Um, this is a great place to come and explore the claims of Christ. But just maybe you're here and Christ is pulling on your heart a little bit today. And you can, maybe the Holy Spirit's doing something in your life where you're ready to surrender from the world's way, from living your way, and to begin following Christ. And if you are ready to do that, maybe you just prayed with Pastor David to receive Jesus, would you let us know? We really want to walk on this journey with you. Just let us know you're here. Say hi. Go to the welcome counter on your way out. There's some people there. If you don't have a Bible, we want to give you one. We want to be here to help walk on this journey towards Christ with you. You probably have questions. We want to answer those. And if you're joining us online, um, you can go to camcc.net, click on Next Steps, and you can fill out a little form, and one of our pastors will get back to you to help answer any questions and walk with you on your journey. All right, we're going to get back to the Lord. Uh, we do that every week because it's what the scriptures asks us to do. It's how ministry is supported here. There's no obligation if you're a guest, but if you're one of the regular people who worship with us uh, and you'd like to honor God through the giving of tithes and offerings, you can do so. There's three ways to give, either online, there's an offering box in the lobby. Um, and it's how ministry is supported here. You know, um, I just got back. I was in Mexico all last week with our high school youth group, and we built a house for a family in need. It's an awesome time, but you know, that house was made possible because of the donations of you guys. All that, all the materials were paid for, and we built a house for this beautiful young couple. They were like 19 and 20, and they had a one-year-old baby, which I'm guessing was an accident, you know, um, but they're just trying to start their life out, and we were able to bless them as a church. So your gifts are having an impact, not just here, but throughout the world. All right, before you go, let's check out what's coming up next at Camp CC on the screens. Hey Camp CC, I'm Cassidy Mathis, volunteer leader at the Young Adult Group here at Camp CC. Anyone from college to 30 years old should come check us out on Tuesdays, 7 to 9 p.m. in the Activity Center. For more info, go to our Insta, youngadult.campcc, or visit campcc.net slash youngadult. If you're a first, second, or third time guest, welcome. We have gifts for you, and we want to put a face to the name. So please go to the welcome counter in the lobby with your connection card, or if you're watching online, go to campcc.net slash next steps. Check out what's coming up. Thursday, April 21st, Pathway Class. Join us for six weeks as you take your spiritual journey to the next level. 
Hear from our team of staff and elders providing tools to deepen your relationship with God and learn more about Camp CC. Space is limited though, so sign up to reserve your spot today by going to the growth group page on campcc.net or contact Jim Moyer at campcc.net for more info. Pivotal Hope, Saturday, April 30th, 10 a.m. to noon, women's tea and brunch. Join us for worship, fellowship, and some cozy dishes and drinks. The tickets are $10 and can be purchased online or on the patio. For more info, email allison at campcc.net or go to campcc.net slash women. Wednesday, May 4th, 6.45 to 9.15 p.m., High School Spring Formal Dance. The biggest dance of the year put on at our church. Show off your moves and it'll be bigger and better than last year, if that's possible. For more info, contact Zach at campcc.net or visit campcc.net slash formal. Sunday, May 8th, Mother's Day and Child Dedications. If you have a child from birth to third grade, this is the time for our church family to meet and pray over your child and family as you publicly make the decision to lead them to follow Jesus. To sign up, contact Elaine at campcc.net or visit campcc.net slash dedication. May 27th to the 30th is Family Camp, Sage Hills in Santa Barbara. Enjoy hiking, fishing, and family games. Also enjoy a Saturday potluck dinner followed by a weekend gathering. Reserve your spot today at campcc.net. Important dates coming up. Make sure and save the date and check out the upcoming events at campcc.net. High School Friathon Camp is June 19th to the 24th. And Middle School Catalina Trip is August 5th to the 8th. To stay in the loop of what's going on at CanCC, follow us on Instagram, like us on Facebook, or subscribe to our YouTube channel. For more information on any of these events, please go to cancc.net. From today's message, I'm encouraged that wherever we're at in our spiritual journey, we can look to our brothers and sisters in Christ to walk alongside um, in our journey with us. So would you look to the person next to you to pray with you? Um, and whatever God might have done in this room, Whatever's happening today outside of this room, what God did today is not going to be as important as what happened. Does that make sense? Anywho, remember, if it's your first, second, or third time here, go to the welcome counter and receive the gifts that we have for you. We would love to connect with you and put a face to the name. And if you're watching online, please go to camcc.net slash next steps. We also want to share the winners of our Easter scavenger hunt. So first place goes to the Stolzik family. Congratulations. You guys get a Nintendo Switch. Second place goes to the Red family, the adorable Reds. And third place goes to the Hart family. Congratulations to those winners. We're so excited for them. So remember to invite someone to join us here next Sunday and have a great week. Happy Easter.